You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Hebrews chapter 13. You know, for the last several weeks we've been talking about the basics of Christianity. It's our sermon series, Christianity 101, the basics of Christianity. Last week we looked at four basics, four basics. Remember them? The four basics of the Christian life, or at least these first four, are these. Number one, showing brotherly love. Number two, exhibiting hospitality. Number three, helping those in need. And number four we saw last week, living in sexual purity. These are Christian basics. These are the things that God expects out of us in the Christian life. Now, two more today, okay? Two more. So this will be number five today will be being content. That's a Christian basic. And number six, relying totally on Jesus. Now, church family, listen, I cannot remind us enough what was happening in the first century when this letter was written to these Hebrews. They were under tremendous persecution. This is mid-60s A.D. This, this is stress and pressure of wondering where your next meal is going to come from. Because who's in control? Who's the world power of the first century? Rome. And who is the egomaniac who is the emperor of Rome? Starts with an N. Nero. And so what is he doing to Christians? You remember this? We've talked about this many times. He's hauling Christians to the Roman Colosseum and feeding them to the lions. And you see that literally around the edges of the Colosseum. He's burning them. He, he puts pitch on them and lights them as a torch that's stress. That's pressure. And that's the backdrop of the book of Hebrews. You say, why did Nero do that? What did he have against, what did the Christians do to him? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, the deal was Nero. I told you he's an egomaniac nut job. Okay? This guy, remember we talked about this last week? Remember, he married himself off to a boy, right? What did he do? He burned the city because Rome was mostly made of wood, wooden structures. And he burned it. You want to know why? Because he wanted it to be an edifice to himself. And so he wanted to make marble and granite statues like the one you see there on that little bridge, on that, that little causeway there. And that's what he did. And, and, and yet, but the Roman citizens, obviously, they're like, what has he done? Our homes, our businesses have been destroyed. And so he, he, Nero took a CNN Fox News poll and found that his numbers were plummeting. And so he, he's like, no, I didn't do that. But according to the Roman historian Tacitus, he did do that. And because of that, he needed a scapegoat. Hence, the Christians, this new group of people that's been around for some 30 years. This is mid-60s A.D., right? Jesus has gone to heaven, been in heaven for about 30 years or so. That's who I'll blame. And I'll round them up and I'll bring them to the Colosseum in Rome and, and that will be my scapegoat. And that's why the Christians were being gathered up and hauled off. Can, can you imagine? Listen, the reason I tell you that is to understand the backdrop for these basics. Keep loving each other. 
Keep showing hospitality, even though you don't know who's going to show up at your door. It might be somebody that's going to fake it and, and, and tell you that they're for you, but they're against you. It's like the, the Gestapo of, of, of Hitler, Germany, and they haul you off, like the concentration camps in the, in the late 30s and 40s. But in the case of, 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 of Nero, that wasn't hauled off to Auschwitz. They were hauled off to the Colosseum in Rome. Do you get that? And yet he's, Paul is still telling these first century Christians to hang in there and show love and show hospitality and help one another and, and live sexually pure. And so we get two more today. We get two more basics today. And this is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to understand. That's the backdrop now of Hebrews 13. So let's look at these next two. You ready? Look at verse 5. Keep your life, Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. And be content with what you have. Let me say it again, church. And be content with what you have. If you never got another dollar, if you never drove a better car, if you never had anything more in life, would you be okay? Could you survive? Or would you shake your fist at God? Watch it. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Verse 6, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man, what Nero or anyone else can do to me. You know they had to be afraid living in those conditions. Church family, on Wednesday nights we've been working our way through the book of James. It's a fascinating book because it's written by the half-brother of Jesus, who, by the way, did not accept Jesus as his Lord and Savior until after the resurrection, even though he grew up with him. In our study of James, we talked about this very topic about a month ago. By the way, we do have service on Wednesday night. Might I encourage you to come? I'll encourage you to come. Listen, I know you're tired. Look, before I became a pastor and I was working in the business world, the last year I worked in the business world, I put 68,000 miles on a Chevy Suburban. And so there were many days, because I had Western North Carolina was our territory. And so, so I'm, I'm driving straight in. No supper, no nothing. Pack of crackers. At least now we've got a meal, okay? We've got a meal, 5.15 to 6.30, and then the service at 6.30. You say, I'm tired, I don't, I don't need. Yes, come anyway. Listen, these first century Christians were wondering how they were going to survive. And, and we don't do anything hard anymore. Listen, when you come on Wednesday night, I'm not, look, look, it's not I'm trying to increase Wednesday night service. I'm trying to help you. You need the Word of God. You need to be strengthened by other Christian brothers and sisters. We need as much of the Word as we can get. And so unless you're providentially hindered, unless you're sick, or unless, you know, you're working, come. Because you'll You'll grow. And so we talked about this um, about a month ago, to be exact, Wednesday night, August the 14th. And so I'm like, wow, Lord, this must be really important because here we are, we're coming to it again in Hebrews. So for those of you that were here Wednesday night the 14th, some of this is a rehash, but you know, we learn by repetition, so I think it'll be okay, don't you? Okay, here's what I want you to see. As I thought about that message a month ago, there was a verse that really stuck out with me. And I want to I show it to you. Don't turn there, but just look at it. James 1, verse 11. Watch this. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. I was watching the sun rise this morning. Uh, Claire and Andrew and I were driving up. And there was fog down here at, the, at Lewis Fort Creek at the bridge, right? And I'm driving up, and then the sun was just burning off the fog, just scorching it away, right? 
And the same thing happens with, with life. Now watch this, the end, end of that verse. And, and, and watch this. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Now you hear that part about the rich man and you go, yeah, that ain't me because I ain't rich. Yes, you are. You are rich. You say, no, I'm not. Yes, you're, you don't know why you're rich? Because you live in America. <laughs> because I live in America. And we're rich. Hey, look at me. Get this. One-third of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. Did you hear that? Oh, I got a better one. 75%, three-fourths of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. I told you you're rich. Do you believe that? I got some more statistics. This is, this is amazing. When you think about the, how blessed that we are, if you're a family, as a family, you make $40,000 a year, are you listening? Now, that could be you by yourself, sir or ma'am, or you could be a dink. What's a dink? A dual income earner? So that's two incomes? If you as a family collectively make $40,000 a year, guess what? That puts you in the top 1% of the world's families in wage earning. I told you we're rich. Y'all say it with me. Come on, on the count of three, we're going to say we're rich. Ready? One, two, three. We're rich. I told you. Glad you admitted it. I got one more for you. The poverty line, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics in America, is still a little over $13,000. That's the poverty line. If you only make $13,000 a year, you're still in the top 10% of the world's wage earners. Think about that. So we are rich. The question is, hey, will you look at me just for a second? We're rich, but the question is, are we content? Are we content? That's the Christian basic number six. Are, excuse me, number five. Are we, are we content with what we have? Look at it again. First part of verse five. Watch this. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. The Greek word for content is the word archaeo, and it means to have sufficient strength to be strong enough for the circumstance. Isn't that good? So, so you're strong enough for the situation. In other words, it means that you, that you have the strength for what you need. Oh yeah, for what you need. There is a difference between needs and wants, correct? You've been to Walmart, haven't you? Lord help you. When we go to that checkout line, and there's a little four or five-year-old there, and they, let's, let's say, they pull off a Kit Kat. Mom, Mom, I need this Kit Kat. Do they really need the Kit Kat, or do they just what? Want it. Do you have a problem with that? I do. We blur the line of need and want. Have you heard about this wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns? Have you heard of OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr.? Did you hear about that guy? Did you hear about the watch that he wore last week in the game? Do you not, does anybody know how much that watch cost? 
What is it? Third and ten, and he's going, I wonder what time it is. What? What? Have we lost our minds? Is that a need? No! I've got a need. I, I'm, I'm just telling you. I'm, look at this. This is my Fitbit, okay? All right. Well, watch this now, okay? But I'm good to go. See, the front case is cracked, okay? And here, I, Gorilla Glue is good stuff. Y'all seen that advertised on TV? Look at this. It is hanging by Gorilla Glue right there. But it still keeps time. You understand? I don't need some 350,000. Eventually, I'm about to get a new one. This thing's going to break. And I mean, I've, I've glued it and babied it and all that. But I'm just telling you, we can so easily blur the line. What do you need? What do you want? Is there a difference? There, of course there's a difference. You know, my life verse, I've shared it with you many times in many of your life verse, I, I, I've, you've told me, is this verse, Matthew 6, Do you know Matthew 6, Here it is. But seek first the kingdom, wait a minute, seek first what? Oh, the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount had just told them what things? Food, clothing, and shelter. No, not shelter. He just said food and clothing. He didn't say shelter. You say, what are we supposed to live in? Well, think about those first century Christians. They were living in caves. You understand that? He said, if you've got food and clothing, you're to be content. I thought about the children of Israel wandering around the Sinai Desert. Right? Their clothes grew with them for 40 years. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Because there wasn't a Walmart out there in the Sinai Desert. And there was no Chick-fil-A in the Sinai Desert. Been a good place for a Chick-fil-A. So what did they eat? Manna. God sustained them. I was thinking about my great uncle. I loved my great uncle. His name was Curtis Green. He's been with the Lord now for several years. And my great uncle was constantly quoting Psalm 37, 25. And I love this verse. Hear this verse. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Folks, that is truth. Church family, I believe with all my heart when you and I seek the kingdom of God first and it's our priority, we don't have to worry. Are you worried today? Are you worried how you're going to make ends meet? I think about it too, believe me. Honestly, I do. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I think that in the world we live in, you know, I'm a pastor, right? And so, so when I left the business world, I mean, I, the Lord blessed me in the business world. I was a six-figure guy, and then I come into the pastorate. Man, it's, it ain't that, right? You know what I'm saying? Because I, I think some churches actually look at pastors and think, well, bless God, we've got to keep them poor, got to keep them humble. Where is that in the Scripture? You know? <laughs> bless God, we've got to pay them with pigs, chickens, and eggs, you know, keep them humble. Hey, and, and, and that's how you feel your employer is to you, right? They're trying to keep you humble, right? Now, sometimes I wonder if maybe churches get this wrong. And I'm very grateful. The church here is gracious to us. I, I, you take care. We try to take care of you, and you take care of us, so thank you for that. But I think some churches are missing it. We, I'm going to talk more about this next week because we're going to talk about Christian leadership next week. Listen to me. Do you want to know why so many churches struggle today? Because they've got bad leadership. They truly, they, listen, they don't pay anything, and so they got the bottom of the barrel. Have you heard this saying, you get what you, help me, you get what you pay for. And so when you pay nothing, guess what you're going to get? Nothing. 
nothing. And you get so many pastors, truly they can't do anything else. They literally can't do anything else. They couldn't hold down another job if their life depended on it. See, and I believe you get what you pay for. And so if you want, listen, listen to those who are watching. If you want quality people to lead your church, you've got to pay them something. We're going to see this next week because an, an elder who is working well in teaching is worth how much honor? Double. See? Oh, bless God, got to keep them poor, got to keep them humble. I promise you, we're humble. Okay? Trust in the Lord is, is, is you know, I, don't, I, I trust you to take care of me as, as, as you trust me to take care of you as a pastor. See how that reciprocates? And that's a good thing. What is money for, church? What is money for? Huh? You say to buy stuff. I get it. But if you're a Christian, what is money for in the light of Matthew 6, 33? What's money for? Look, there you go, the kingdom of God, right? That's what money's for. No, it's not. Not the way we see it. Because here's how we see it. We see money broken down this way. This is what we've been taught, that 90% of it's mine and maybe 10% of it's God's. Maybe 10%. What's that 10% called? A tithe. Bless God we're not under the tithe. Aren't you glad? See, that's Old Testament. See, Old Testament is the Old Covenant. So that was the, that was the starting point. Look, look at me, look at, please look at me. Do you know what we've made the 10%, what the tithe is, the Old Testament tithe? We've made it the floor, or excuse me, the ceiling, but it's really the floor. Well, what do I mean by that? We go, oh, I got a tithe. Well, that's way up here. So I'm going to start out way down here. No, 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 flip it. Pull that thing down and step on it. The tithe is Old Covenant. That's the starting point. And you work up from that. Question, when you go get something to eat here in a little bit, and you go to a restaurant, and they've done a really good job, waiter or waitress, what will you give them as a tip? What percentage? Somebody tell me. What's a good tip today? 20, 20%, 15% minimum, right? If they've done really good, 20%, maybe 25%, right? And we're, we're giving God 10%? No, 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 that's not the ceiling, that's the floor. We're, we're hilarious givers, right? That's what the Bible teaches us. We're to be hilarious givers. And so often we hold on to everything. You know, I was doing some research this week. According to Pew Research, only 8.8% of American churchgoers actually give 10% or more. Did you get that? Only, only, nine out of, only 9 out of 100 American churchgoers give 10% or more. According to nonprofitsource.com, did you know that the average giving by adults who attend a United States Protestant church averages 2.5% of their income? 2.5% is the average of the United States Protestant church attender. Hmm. That equates to $17 a week, 68 bucks a month, and a whopping $816 a year. Oh, we love you, Jesus! <laughs> Somebody's talking to me. Praise the Lord. Church, this is what astounded me. And I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you this next stat. 
According to nonprofitsource.com, 37% of American church attendees in a, in a Protestant church in America gives nothing to the church. Zero. Ever. Think of that. 37 out of 100 church attenders today will give nothing to the church, and yet they take it all in. They take in the message, they take in the benefits of the church, the, the things that they have for their kids, the things that they do for them, and they give nothing? Really? Nada. Zip. That's sad, isn't it? A couple of other thoughts when it comes to money. You say, you're meddling. No, I'm not. I'm giving you stats. I, I, I'm quoting stats, Right? I'm backing up everything I'm saying with stats, because I'm a stats guy. This is humbling. Billy Graham said this, you'll know the depth of a person's longings by where they spend and invest their money. That's what Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your what will be also, your what? Your heart. I know what some think about all this. They, they say, well, Kevin, I've got a lot of bills. And I got a lot of stuff I got going on. I get that. We all do. And so what you can choose to do is you can choose to do it in your own resources. And, and you look at me and you go, but Kevin, I don't have any money. I get it. And that's precisely why you need to give. You say, that is totally backwards. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. Listen, this is Luke 6.38. Give, and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken, and overflowing. So who gives first? You do. But I know how it works. We say, now God, if you'll give me some money, then I'll give you some back. And God says, no, it don't work that way. You remember Jesus? They, they were in the temple compound and the Pharisees were giving all their money, right? And Jesus said, no, no, no. Guys, don't, don't look over there. Look right here. See that widow? See that widow? She's giving a mite. M-I-T-E. You know how much that was? Half a penny. And that's all she had. Jesus said she's given the last might she's got. Listen, when you ain't got no money, it's time to give. Because you're in a world of hurt. You need to unleash the resources of God. You say, okay, now you're preaching prosperity gospel stuff. No, I'm not. Listen, I told you, I'm never going to be rich. Not, not according to American standards. I'm rich according to world standards. But I understand that. It's not about getting rich. It's about storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Do you actually believe there's a heaven? Do you actually believe that what we do here will be rewarded for in heaven and, and what we send on ahead, we will live out in, in that blessing for all eternity? It's the truth. So many people, they hold it all to themselves. And here's the thing. This is why they're not content. They just keep hanging on to what they've got. And it's such a sad thing. See, it's like my Bible is my money. So, Avery, I'm going to walk over to you, and I want you to take this. Take, take my money from me. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Yeah, and we say that to God. I'm going to hang on to my money. And God said, that's fine. That's fine. You hang on to your money. Now you've got to make all this happen in your resources. Hands off. I will put my hands behind my back. I love you. You've not lost your salvation. You're, you're my child. But you are on your own when it comes to your money because you've chosen to trust your own resources. This is how we should go. Palms up. Now take it, Avery. Palms up. That's how we should look at all of life. 
everything you and I have, it's His. Thank you. Everything. Hey, how much of your money is actually yours? None. It's all God's. How much are you going to take with you when you die? You know, the Egyptians tried to bury it with King Tut, right? King Tut's still dead. Right? You can't take it with you. You see that? Listen, we, naked we come into the world, we're going to see this in a moment, naked we're going to leave it. And we try to hold on to this stuff. We hold our palms up. We don't, we don't grab it. It's like trying to grab sand. The more you squeeze the sand, the more it comes out of your hands. This is how we live our lives. And there's contentment in that. Is there contentment in your life? Contented Christians have their priorities on the kingdom of God, not the stuff of this earth. And that's why they're content. Look at it again. Verse 5. See it? Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Hey, hey, let me ask you a question. Are you better off today than you were 10 years ago financially? Are you better off today than you were 20 years ago? Hey, married couple, you remember when you started out, huh? You remember? If you had any furniture, it was hand-me-down furniture. Remember that? You know what? And it wasn't so bad, was it? And we think about that today. What if you had to go back and live like that? Is that so beneath us now that we couldn't do it? That we so define ourselves by what we have in our material possessions that we, that we couldn't even fathom that? Remember the kind of vehicles you drove? You drove pieces of junk, right? Some of you say, I'm still driving one. I get it. You know, would you drive a car today with a dent in it? A lot of people want, I can't be seen with a dent in my car. Why? What is up with you? I'm not saying don't get your car fixed, but I'm just saying, you know what, if you define yourself by what you drive or what you wear, and if you're Odell Beckham, I guess, by what time it is on third down, you know, I mean, it's very important to him. I remember when Pam and I got married and we started out. We lived in a little apartment over in Moravian Falls, about a half mile from Wilkes Central High School, in Silas Marsh's, he and his wife's, basement. And it was awesome. It was, the whole place was luxurious 1970s harvest gold linoleum. Not carpet, mind you, linoleum. The whole thing. We had to go to the laundromat to wash our clothes. You want to know why? Because his septic tank wasn't big enough to handle a washing machine. Another washing machine. So we'd go to the laundromat and wash our clothes at the laundromat and load it back up. He had enough power to run a dryer. So we had a dryer on the linoleum in our apartment. And we dried our clothes. And we would scrounge up enough money from time to time and go to Glenn's and get a soft serve cone of ice cream. And we were as happy as a pig in slop. You know what I'm saying? You remember those days? Could you be happy like that again? Could you be contented like that again? Oh, we get to a certain place, a certain level. Hmm. Remember, 75% of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. Pam was working at Cato's back then. You remember Cato's? And she was student teaching at West Wilkes, and I was driving to Lenore working at Broyhill Furniture and making nothing. And we survived. How? 
because we took God, listen, this is personal testimony. Pam and I decided we were going to take God at His Word. We were going to bind ourselves to the Word of God. So we bound ourselves to Matthew 6.33. Remember Matthew 6.33? Say it again. We chose to seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Kevin and Pam. And we knew that if we did that and sought Him in a righteous way, that He would add to us the things that we needed. You know, Jesus once said to a rich man in Luke 12, 15, He said to him, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, you know, wanting what the Joneses have. For one's life does not consist in what he has, the abundance of his possessions. Listen, don't get locked in what everybody else has. Don't get locked in, well, she's wearing this, and he's driving that, and he's got this kind of phone, he's got that kind of phone. My watch still works. And if you think it makes me less of a person wearing a watch glued up with Gorilla Glue, then that's your problem. You get it. We get so bent out of shape, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, See it, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. We got so much stuff to just being destroyed by rust, right? Where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves where? What? Treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves can't break in and steal. And verse 21, this used to be on our boards over here on the walls when we still had the, praise God, we don't need more of the reach center debt. For where your treasury is, there your heart, your heart will be also. You understand that, church? Money is a measure of what motivates us. Show me where your money goes and I'll show you where your affections lie. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, just three verses later in the same Sermon on the Mount, He said this, watch it. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't. You can't. So on day one, Pam and I of our marriage, been married almost 29 years, we chose to treat the tithe as the floor. And we started at 10%. See, can I be honest with you? See, 10% of what we had back then wasn't much. Okay? But you start making some money and you put 20 or 30 years on it, 10% is a big number. And so if you're not giving to the Lord and you look at 10% of what you're like, there ain't no way. That's because you're living at the 100% number. You're living up here. And, and it's just almost, this is why I, I counsel young couples. I will not marry a couple that does not meet with me and do marriage counseling, and they will walk out of my office with something. A one-page piece of paper. Guess what that is? Somebody tell me. A budget. Let's call it a spending plan, shall we? That sounds a little better. A spending plan. They need a budget. Do you live on a budget? See, it's right here in my head. That's why you got $30,000 on a credit card. Hey, put it on a piece of paper. Can, does the thing balance? Does it balance? Do you know where your money's going? When I do financial counseling, I give people these little notebooks. And I say, write down everything you spend, it's over 50 cents. You go, you got to be kidding me. Most people have no idea where their money's going. Have no idea. They are blown away by how much money they're spending on coffee and soft drinks and eating out lunch every day. They have, and bless God, they, no way am I going to carry a bologna sandwich in a Ziploc bag to work. You understand? Are you content? Can you be content? So often we're not. 
So often we're motivated by what everybody else has. Pam and I chose to and continue to live on a budget. And so we have 17 categories. I'd forgotten. I, I, I counted. We have 17 categories. And so we split up my paycheck into those categories. You know, like Walmart and taxes and gas and, you know, birthdays and Christmas and, you know, vehicle maintenance. Do you have something like that? Do, do, you, do you know where your money's going? Particularly if you're young families, it's so important. I highly recommend it. Makes life a whole lot easier. Are you content today? Let's go deeper and let's see. Turn in your Bibles. You're in uh, Hebrews. Go to 1 Timothy. Go back a couple of books. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You're going to make your way to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And as you're turning, I want to say this. True riches are not related to how much we have, but how content we are with what we have. Do you hear that? True riches are not related to how much we have, but being content with what we have. Now watch this. Have you made your way there? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is what? Great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. That's what I said a moment ago. We can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food, clothing, and shelter. Nope, there it is again. Same thing, just food and clothing. With these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Think of a trap in the woods that you would trap an animal with. They fall into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of it is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away, even from the faith they've walked away from Jesus and pierced themselves with many pangs. Jump down to verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, you say, that's not me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Again, compared to the world's population, we've all agreed we're rich. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Do not set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope where? On God. That's, that's basic number six. Rely on God. Watch this. If we rely on Him, not the uncertainty of riches, He will provide us with everything to enjoy. Is this related to needs or wants? Needs. Verse 18, we are to do good and we're to be rich in good works. We're to be generous and ready to share. We talked about that last week. That's being hospitable. That's helping those in need. Verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future. That's parroting Jesus' words, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You want to know what true life is? Being content. Being content with Jesus. That's life. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Or is it Jesus plus a car, a house, a new job? What is it? What is it that's driving you, that's that you think is going to make you happy? I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of the Word of God, Jesus in Christ alone is their happiness because he is the way, the truth, and the what? The life. That's true living. 
I love what Epicurus says. Now, Epicurus was a Greek philosopher. He was not a believer, but I think he got this one right. Take a look at this. Epicurus said this, the secret of contentment is not to add to a man's possessions, but to take away from his desires. Can I get an amen? I can amen that. God, take away some of my desires. Because I'm craving stuff. I mean, man, this Odell Beckham, man, I need a $350,000 watch. Really? How much do we need? You know, I'm a formula guy. I'm kind of a stats guy. And I've, I've, I've formulized this. You want to see my little formula? You ready? All right, here we go. Satisfaction, we've discovered, equals contentment, right? And then contentment is next to godliness, right? And we know godliness equals Jesus. Therefore, true satisfaction, the top left, equals Jesus. So if you've got Jesus, you'll be satisfied in Him if you depend on Him and seek His kingdom first. Whose kingdom are you seeking first? The only way to have true satisfaction in this life is to have Jesus and be content with Him. And when you are, you'll truly have life. And this brings us back to Hebrews 13. Look back at verse 5 again. Watch this. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man can do to me. He was telling them, don't be afraid of Nero. You know, uh, verse 6 in my Bible is indented. Is it indented in your Bible? Is there white space around it? Should be. You know why? That's a quote. That's a quote from Psalm 118.6. And there's another quote that was back up there in verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Who said that? Jesus said that. Right? Oh, but the first time recorded in Scripture that it was said was actually God speaking it to Joshua. Can, can I show you this real quick? It's not hard to find Joshua. Turn with me there. You got Genesis, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Viticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Go there. Go, go, go. Joshua, chapter one. Remember Joshua. He has, he has succeeded Moses, and he's now got to take the children of Israel, two and a half million people, into the promised land. And he's, I think he's intimidated. You're going to Joshua chapter 1. He's intimidated by the task, and I actually believe he's afraid. And I want you to see this. Joshua chapter 1, look at verse 5. God said this to Joshua. Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Wow, that's awesome. Just as I was with Moses, God said, so will I be with you. Now here it is. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's where you see that the first time. God said it, and then his son said it. As we, as we will read here in a moment in the Great Commission. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. It takes courage to live the life of a Christian. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. They're going into the promised land. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from what? The law. That's the scriptures, the teachings. To the right hand or to the left hand, that you may have good success wherever you go. Verse 8, this book of the law, you see that's capitalized. It's speaking of the Word of God. This word of God shall not depart from your mouth. What does that mean? It means we can quote it, right? You quote it, and you shall meditate on the word of God day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
for then you will make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. You want to know how to be successful? You don't have to get the New York Times bestseller. All you've got to do is read the Word of God and keep it and follow it. Does that mean you're going to get rich? Does that mean? No, not according to American standards, worldly standards. We are rich. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a millionaire, but it means that God will put His hand on your life. Look at me. So many of us, we're holding back on God. We still want Him to give to us, and then we'll give. Turn loose of some of that. You've got to hold this thing palm up. Let go of it. Let go of some of it. And watch what God does. This is a principle. The only principle, only time in Scripture we're told to test God is in the area of what? Money. Right? That's Malachi chapter 3. God said, test me. Give to me and see if I don't throw open the storehouses of heaven. Does that what mean to make us rich? No. It means that you operate in God's resources and not yours. You don't have to worry. You don't have to live in fear. How am I going to pay for my kids' education? How am I going to pay for these doctor bills? How am I going to do this? Look, we all get unexpected things. We get things that are expected. You know, how am I going to do all this? And God's in heaven saying, just trust me. If you'll seek me first and trust me, I will work these things out. I will, I will use my resources and bless you. Can I ask you a question? How much does God own? Everything. So he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the scripture says. He owns the gold in the hills. He owns it all, right? How much of your money do you own? None of it. He owns, listen, he, you say, I've earned my money. Really? Listen, God is the one who's given you your next breath. Go ahead and take it. Go. Let's take the next one. Ready? If we do this long enough, we're all going to hyperventilate, okay? So we'll have to be careful here. Have you thought about trying to breathe? I mean, think about trying to breathe. Next breath. Next time. You know what I'm saying? The blood coursing through your veins, coming in and out of the ventricles in your heart. God's doing that too. That could all be taken from you. Just like that. Do you understand that? Somebody's watching here today. They need to understand that. Somebody on Mount Pleasant anywhere. You understand, God has blessed you with your breath. You might not believe in God, but I'm telling you, that next breath you're taking, that's God giving that to you. Trust Him. See, this is, this is what the Scripture says. He says, watch, verse 9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Are you trusting in the Lord today or your resources? I'm comforted by the fact as a 51-year-old man that I can sing that song we were singing. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been what? So, so what? Good. With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God because my life is in His hands. This is my life. I offer it up, much as Abraham offered up Isaac. Will you offer up your life? That's verse 6. Look back at it and we'll be done. Hebrews 13, verse 6. So we can say confidently this, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. 
Again, understand the context. First century, mid-60s AD, Nero, nut job on the throne. These people are scared to death. They are taking sticks and making the fish symbol in the ground to acknowledge that they are... Why are they making the fish symbol? What's up with that? Because Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Fish symbol. These people were scared to death. And the Apostle Paul told them, do not stop being content. Even if it's all been taken from you, even if you're left destitute, you can still trust because God will provide your food and He will provide your clothing and He'll take care of you. You know, before Jesus went to heaven, He gave us our marching orders. What are those? I mentioned it a moment ago, the Great Commission. People ask me all the time, what's the mission statement of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church? Okay, here it comes. Here's the mission statement of Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's what Jesus said to do. Go. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what are we to do? That's what I'm trying to do today. Teaching us to observe all that Jesus commanded. And here it comes. And Jesus said, behold, I am with you always to the end of of the age. Are you seeking His kingdom first? Will you trust Him today? Look at me, we're almost done. Listen, I, I look across the room, I look at many of your faces, and by the witness and testimony of your life and by the fruit of your life, I really believe you're born again. Jesus said you'll know them by the fruit they bear, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at you. So you're judging me. No, I'm not. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fruit inspector. And I'm, uh, yeah, I see so many believers. Listen, it's almost easier to trust Jesus with our soul than our money. So many people, they trust Jesus with their life, but they don't trust Him with their money. Yeah, take my soul and deliver me from hell, but my money, yeah, I'm keeping it. Thank you. No. Trust Him. Trust Him. Naked we came into this world, naked we're going to leave it. I want to show you the lyrics of that song we were singing, and I want to close by singing that little chorus this morning. Goodness of God. Take a look at it. See the screens? Can you sing it with me? And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. See it? With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.